Hey there. Just before we start the show, I want to let you know that we're uh, doing a pledge drive to help cover our hosting and production costs for both Mega 10 Marathon and Combo Chain for the next year. It actually costs us over $500 a year, and so any amount you could contribute would be huge help. Since it's a pledge drive, we've got some special giveaways. Not tote bags, unfortunately, but if you contribute $5, you'll get an episode on The World Ends With You months before it gets released. Contribute 10 bucks, and you'll get that, as well as a special deep dive episode on Persona 5 Royal. But seriously, any amount is a huge help. To contribute, head over to tinyurl.com backslash Megatenshane. Thanks so much for the support, and as always, for listening to the shows. Welcome to Combo Chain. It's a JRPG Games Club podcast. Today we'll be doing Eternal Sonata. I'm Paul M. Davis, and I'm joined by... I'm Danny. Uh, I'm from Escape This Podcast and the Solve This Murder podcast. And yes, I'm very excited to talk about one of my classic favorite JRPGs. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, I'm really excited to uh, talk about this with you because this is uh, <laughs> it's it's a little bit of an obscure one. But yeah, we get to this stage and we laugh. That very much sets the tone. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. Um, do you want to? Do you want to just uh, give us a little like uh, backstory about like your history with the game or how you came across it? I was trying to remember all this going back a few years. And so it must have been 2007, 2008. So I was about 17. I'm pretty sure I got it for a birthday present from my, at the time, 12-year-old brother-in-law. I don't know how it caught his eye, but (laughs) he gave it to me for a present. And I went, well, that's a cute cover. Sure, why not? And I'm looking back on it now and thinking... Well, apart from like a couple of years earlier, a few failed attempts at starting Final Fantasy X, this may well have been my first actual foray into a JRPG. Really? I don't know how that's true, but I think it might be. I could see it being a good like introductory one. <laughs> like as far it, as it, it definitely has you, its turn. Yeah, it it has its charms and it has its uh, supreme annoyances and (laughs) it has a crazy as shit plot. (laughs) Pretty much. There's, yeah, there's no more succinct way of put it. It is crazy. It is full of all of the right tropes so that next time you get into a JRPG, you know exactly what you're in for. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We'll talk about that later. But considering the premise, like just how tropey it is, seems like such a, oh man, it seems like such a bizarre (laughs) juxtaposition. Pretty much. So what about you? What's your history with this one? Honestly, I don't, I'm trying to think about how I came across this game. 
I think it was just because I am a voracious consumer of JRPGs mm. and I had always been a Nintendo kid and never owned a Sony system until PlayStation 4. So yeah, oh, I, I only wow. played this a few years ago. And then I figured out, and af- after I got the PlayStation 4, I was like, oh, wow, there's all these JRPGs I missed out on the, on the PS3. So I got one really cheap. And I don't know, just something about it really, it, it sounded intriguing. I knew that Triace was involved, and I knew that, or at least Tricercendo, which is an offshoot, I knew that they had made some games that I enjoyed quite a bit mm. and some other games that I did not enjoy. <laughs> and it was around the time where you could pick up a PS3 game for maybe 10 bucks on eBay pretty nice. easily. And I was, I, I, I was just I, taken away by the sheer kind of like audacity of it all, mm. even though I was already burnt out on a lot of the tropes that it engages in. <laughs> oh. But uh, yeah, we'll get into that. Um, yes. We like, we haven't even, we're like teasing that this game has a weird premise for people who don't know it. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> All right. Let me start us off. I'll tell you about a little bit about the uh, backstory mm-hmm. and the premise. The game was released for uh, the PS3 and and Xbox in 2007 in Japan and 2008 in the West. Here we go. The game revolves around a dying Frederick Chopin, the Polish composer who passed away at the age of 39 from tuberculosis. Now, you say, well, that's not... That is your typical first thought. <laughs> a legendary composer who tragically died in his prime. Okay. Yeah. So the entire game <laughs> is you see a beautiful cartoonified Frederick Chopin, so 39 years old, but of course looks like he's about 16, mm. lying on his deathbed, hallucinating. Yeah. Yeah. He's hallucinating. He's basically in a coma. But he's also simultaneously in this like music-oriented dream world that is like his creation of his unconscious or something Mm. like that. It's very vague. It's a very thorough hallucination, mostly in the fact that the world clearly exists without his presence as well. Like he does not have to be there. The world is continuing. The other characters have very full lives of their own, despite him being utterly convinced that the universe is all his dream. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's the strangest thing. And when I was was, uh, doing research for this episode, I was reading, I know, you know, some of Chopin's pieces, and but Mm. I don't know a whole lot about him in general. And I was reading all this information about like his life and his history and all that. And I was like... Maybe there are some parallel, more parallels between the plot of the story and his life. And there's not really that many. I've tried so hard. There are definitely still many pieces of the game that I'm racking my brains trying to understand. And I've done exactly the same thing. And that is a good thing about this game. That I didn't know much about Chopin. I couldn't have named a single Chopin piece when I was 17 and playing this game. But it made me want to figure out more of the stuff about him. I did want to go and seek out his 
terribly sad music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which I a think lot of a which bit... is in the game. What's that? Oh, yeah. Like, you definitely do not get to skimp out on the music of this one. No, it's definitely worth listening to. Something that I could have lived without are the weird digitized shots of places where he lived during his Uh, life. The interlude moments. Yeah, the interlude moments. was fascinating. Just aesthetically, they look so, so off from your... Very Moe JRPG aesthetics. I am just trying very hard to picture what was going on in the game creators' heads when they pitched this thing. So it's cool. You are playing in this Technicolor cartoon world, fighting cutesy beasts, and then once you finish a chapter, we're just going to put like a photo in and Mm -hmm. some text of the biography of Chopin's life. And they're going to have to read it. And it's going to have kind of the feeling of like a Sega CD, like FM, FMV game or something like that. It's awfully confusing. You think maybe there's going to be a voiceover. Maybe this is going to be relevant to the game in some way. But it is just, no, let's sit down and have a read about Frederick Chopin's girlfriend's life for a while. Yeah, which that's an interesting story. We probably won't get into it. Just, but uh, that's worth looking up uh, on Wikipedia if you have the time. Uh, because I, I they just, had I've never seen another game do this. No, it's you know, it's I've rarely seen a, I've rarely seen a form of media where the framing device has a narrative that has so little bearing on the main narrative. You know? <laughs> it's- <laughs> Yeah, it's really interesting because you go into it and you are thinking the entire time, great, this fantasy world, this amazing allegory and metaphor going on throughout his life and for all the pieces of real life stuff. But as you said before, finding the parallels, if they are there, it's a journey. (laughs) I found one and it was a real real stretch. But once we get to the characters, we could talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. There is one... It, one character that they make clear is meant to be a parallel, but mm-hmm. oh boy. Uh, so yeah, the game was developed by Tri Crescendo, which is an offshoot of Triace. Triace is known for multiple games we've covered on the show, including on the good side, Final Fantasy XIII, Lightning Returns, and on the bad side, Star Ocean. Triace is real all over the place, but I don't know. They, they always do something kind of pretty unique with the combat and the world design. I think that was definitely the original selling point of the game for me. Though Tricrescendo is, you know, technically a spinoff. It operates as his own studios. It was founded by former tri sound programmer Hiroya Hatsushiba. And it has like many of the similar aspects that you see in Triace games, such as either like real time or action influenced combat sequences. The game features a selection of Chopin's compositions played by pianist Stanislav Bunin with original compositions composed and arranged by Matoy Sakuraba. And you can't argue that this game doesn't make use of the music. Like, music is shoved at you from all angles. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a mechanic in the game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, 
And maybe speaking to uh, why we get the like the more mini documentaries, there's in between each uh, chapter. There's a quote from Hiroyu uh, Hatsushiba, who said, "Quote: People who play games and people who love classical music are not necessarily sharing the same type of interests. Mm-hmm. Most people in Japan know the name of Frederick Chopin." However, most of the people who know of Chopin think he is just some kind of great music composer without knowing any more about him. Most of them have heard Chopin's music, but not a lot could put his name to it immediately. By creating a colorful fantasy world in Chopin's dream, I was hoping people would get into this game easily and also come to know how great Chopin's music is. I can't say he didn't succeed at that. No, he definitely succeeded in that. I would totally agree with you. I think that maybe the sort of after-school special elements of it are less successful. (laughs) Absolutely. I remember very little about that except the name George Sand. But as far (laughs) as who Chopin is, the fact that he died of tuberculosis at age 39 and all of just these little things that I picked up either along the way in-game or just because I wanted to know more after the game, that he's absolutely right. This game did make me learn about Chopin. It's true. It's true. It's. I think it's a pretty noble, regardless of the final pro- uh, product. <laughs> I think it's a pretty noble concept. Noble. A hundred percent reason. One of the game series that I play a lot of and that I Twitch stream a lot of is the Computer Nancy Drew games, which are just all puzzly games, but. The vast majority of them do also have some sort of historical basis to the mysteries that are going on, and those are always a pleasure to get more information on by the gaming medium. So, 100%, I think this was a great idea for him to go into. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think problem is probably more in the execution than the concept. <laughs> but yeah, for the localization, the game's text was uh, proofread by the Frederick Chopin Society in Warsaw. The localization team wanted it to be as historically accurate as possible. And just as far as Ephemera, the PS3 adaptation, because it actually came out on the Xbox first, which is very weird for mm. an JRPG. The, so the ports of the PS3 includes two additional playable characters, new dungeons, character costumes, and some tweaks and additions to the uh, game story and the script. Now, just for fun... I learned this fact last week as I was reading the Wikipedia page for this game and I looked on in horror, realizing how much I had missed out on because I had the Xbox version. Oh, you had it, had it on the Xbox. Okay. I had no idea that all this extra stuff existed. I'm gutted right now. <laughs> well, I'm sorry to hear that. that was, yeah, that sucks. That was I, it's brutal. really frustrating. It's really frustrating when that sort of thing happens. Um, I've never experienced that before. Like, it wasn't as if this was some DLC or whatever. This was just a different version of the same game. Have you ever played a Persona game? I haven't. Oh my god, I don't know how I haven't, Jesus. but I haven't. <laughs> because we just, for my other podcast, Magazine Marathon, we just did a uh, episode about Persona Five Royal which is the full price re-release of a game that came out just a few years ago that has a bunch of new content added to it and a bunch of stuff rewritten. And rather than offering as DLC, they make you basically play through the entire hundred hour game again to get to the new content. Oh man. And pay pay full price again. 
Yeah. And they've done this with the last three titles. So I, it could be worse. That's very wounding. Going to oh, what direction is the gaming industry taking with this sort of thing? That's a whole topic on its own. <laughs> yeah. The, they're very notorious. That is particular, particularly notorious. Oh, but, but, uh, know that when I read this, I let out a squawk of horror when I read it. <laughs> Once we get to the plot, you're going to have to talk because I think the plot summary that i pulled was pretty much from the ps3 version so yes i have seen i know where the differences happen but yeah do you want to tell us a bit about the uh, mechanics and combat yeah okay so again some of these are very from what i have now learned are standard jrpg things but for me this was a very first time seeing a lot of these things so it is party based turn based and you go around, you battle some monsters, you see the monsters on your screen, and you have to actually walk up and physically interact with them to start a battle. That's, again, very standard stuff. You collect items, looting the dead bodies or finding random treasure chests, that sort of thing, to be able to upgrade your equipment. You've got shops that you can upgrade your weapons and things at. There are some quirky little bits to it. For example, your weapons tend to be musical instrument or other interesting item based. The mm-hmm. like Frederick Chopin, his weapon is a baton. Yeah. Uh, so as far as combat actually goes, you have three characters at a time. Even though your party can be enormous, like twenty people end up in your party by the end. I know that you have insane. three characters at a time, and you are against. It's a maximum of three bad guys at a time. Yeah, I think it's three people, three enemies at a time. Three per side. So the way it basically works is you are put into a field, uh, a battlefield, and you have to physically move your characters and move them, run them over to the bad guys, and then hit them several times if you've got Mm -hmm. a melee weapon, or just stand somewhere within range and shoot at them if you have a ranged weapon. But there are a few other additions that they've got to this. So it is turn-based, but also semi-time-based. And the thing is, Mm -hmm. the mechanics change throughout the game, depending on how advanced you are. So at the start of the game, the way that it works is you've got a timer that only moves down when you take steps or hit someone. But you can stand there plotting out your moves and doing thinking time in between every step that you take and actually just wait and plan out what you're going to do. But the more advanced you get, the more challenging they make that. And they take away your thinking time, but they increase your hitting time. Mm -hmm. And they have other things that you have as you hit people, you are gaining the ability to do super special awesome attacks as time goes by you have the whole variety of moves you can be attacking you have healing moves for some characters there's a whole bunch of different attacks so the biggest interesting part i find about the way this combat works is they have a light dark mechanic and what that Mm -hmm. means is that on every battlefield that you join some of it is covered in shadow and some of it is in sunlight and depending on the field that can range how much is in each and your characters have different moves depending on whether they are in sun or in darkness and the bad guys are the same way but some of the bad guys actually change physical form 
depending on what they're standing in. So there are some bad guys that teeny tiny cute little plants if they're standing (laughs) in the sun. But then if they walk towards you and you're standing in shadow, they grow to 20 times their size and will just jump on you and body slam you. Oh, I know. I know. And it's funny. It it gets you start. It's like you start off thinking, oh, you've got these like weird little like jelly bean things here fighting. Ah, it's not too threatening. They kick your ass as soon as they get in. It doesn't take long. Like often with a lot of these sorts of games, you start out just feeling really sad about the little cute squeaky things that you're beating up on. But it does not take long for that sympathy to vanish. Nope. (laughs) (sighs) So beyond that, the game outside of combat, it has some, I don't want to call them mini games, but just extra interesting little bits and pieces to it to try to increase the musicality of it. And one of the big ways that they do that is there is a collectible item, a very challenging to get in some cases collectible item which is a score piece so you just get eight bars of music and that is now one of the items in your inventory and you can Mm. get a whole selection of those because there are characters throughout the game who want to play music with you so they have a piece of music that they are playing and you have to select from the score pieces that you have acquired throughout the game which will melodically match theirs the best right Not a game that I have seen in any other JRPG or any video game before. And shockingly difficult, I found. Maybe I'm bad at music, but I thought that this was horrendously hard. No, I find it. I found it incredibly difficult too. And there's a certain amount of like guess guessing game to it. I I wouldn't say I'm like a great musician, but I. Do play a couple instruments, and I still mm. had a hell of a time with it. Yeah, and, oh boy, you have to... They make you listen to whatever awful creations you make if you pick oh the wrong God. song. And then the yeah. characters will abuse you for it if you picked something bad. <laughs> <sighs> and even though the reward for doing all of these score pieces and matching up the music correctly... They're not fantastic rewards or anything. They're just, great, have an in-game item. But... Mm-hmm. This was so much more compelling, maybe just because of how it's not something that you see in any other game. I had to get all of them. I had to match everyone's music perfectly, no matter how much, how many terrible combinations I had to listen to. Like It was the biggest reward of the game. Yeah, yeah. It's co- like, they're collectibles, but just like sheer novelty <laughs> drives the inter- your interest in, in them. It must just make you feel like you're clever. Ah, yes, I heard the perfect tones that went together in these ones. (laughs) Mustache twirl. Ah, yes, perfect pitch. (laughs) Must have been it. Though occasionally you can get rewarded for mixing two pieces of music in a peculiar way that was perhaps unexpected, but somehow managed to work. You could definitely tell that this game was designed by a... someone who started out as a composer for games. I can only assume because they either know everything or know nothing and I'm somewhere in the middle so I can't tell. (laughs) I think it's just another uh, example of uh, a cool idea that is not as 
well implemented as it could be. <laughs> yeah, it again, a super great idea. Mechanically, a bit frustrating as you have to scroll and listen to like 15 pieces of music every time you want to try because there is so no way you can just know the right answer. And yeah, it's again, it's just random characters throughout the game say, "Hey, the world's exploding around me. Want to play some music?" Yeah. I think the only thing that you could compare it to maybe is like some of the like Zelda games like Wind Waker and whatnot. That's but true. it's though those it's, tend to give you far more reward. Yeah, and it's much more simplified. Hmm. Oh, absolutely. And you actually get to feel a little bit more in control. Like a lot of the time in Zelda games, you're playing the music. Mm-hmm. I remember in Skyward Sword, I actually felt really sad about that because your instrument is a harp, so you just swing the thing back and forward. You don't get to choose your notes or anything. Yeah, I think they've tried to make that. I think even in the HD remake of, of Wind Waker, they made it even easier just because people had such a hard time with it. Yeah. I'm not going to get me. If people find the music hard, then fine. Have it simplified. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this is a hard mini, hard music mini game that does not need you to actually do anything musical. It's an interesting mix that they chose there. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the strangest part. You know, if it had some weird kind of like a rhythm mini game wouldn't work, but if it had some sort of or follow the dots on the screen or something like that. But, Absolutely. Just put a little yeah. bit of Guitar Hero in there. Mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are you, th- what, how much fun did you find the combat in this one? I really enjoyed it. I agree. I really, this is one of the, re- one of the things that drew me to it is that I really dig it differs throughout Tri-Ace games, and again, this is a Tri-Crescendo game, but this seems to be a well that they go back to pretty often where it's a turn-based combat system that also has a certain amount of a time, like a time-based mm. element to it and allows you to position yourself on the field and... All of those things matter, and it just gives it more of a, I don't know, because it's still turn-based combat, it's, you know, it, it wouldn't be right to say it's like an action RPG, but... It definitely makes you feel like you're doing a bit of action. It does, it does. I think possibly one of the best examples of this is Lightning Returns, which is like a severely under, underrated game, that the combat in that is... Not similar to this one as far as way it's, the way it's laid out, but it is similar as far as like you're constantly like cycling through abilities and your position. Mm. And even though it's got turn based elements, there is like a real time like requirement that you're having to pay attention to. Yeah, now I know that's one of those things, like every Final Fantasy game does their combat a little bit differently, and some of them are, like Final Fantasy X, obviously just 100% turn-based, no time to worry about whatsoever, and then others of them have the rolling turn gauge and that sort of thing. They go in all sorts of directions for that. 
And what really does interest me about this one is that they do multiple versions of it throughout the game and that they make it progressively mm-hmm. harder. Yeah, in the early levels, you don't have to worry about your time. The time is there, but only when you're doing stuff. You can relax. And then you level up and it tells you, okay, no more sitting and thinking. The time's going to start as soon as it's your turn. Run! Yeah, totally. It's it's fascinating. And it's just a weird jump because normally you gain a level and all you get is, woohoo, I am so much stronger now. The game doesn't feel like it punishes you for a second. And it's great. By the time you're at the end of the game, it doesn't feel punishing at all. It feels like you have gained more and more power. But the first time that they are hobbling your thinking time, it feels like they've just hit you. Yeah, you're like, wait, what have you done? I'm only doing so well because I could think. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it's a lot of fun. There are times when it gets a little repetitive where battle scene in combat sequences that kind of go on for too long. It gets for a little sure. repetitive and frustrating. Yeah, and I but feel like for that, the most part. That gets to be the way with a lot of these style games where it's random combat encounters where sometimes it's just, all right, come on. I fought 10 of these magic goats. I'm over it now. Yep, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Now, these these bad guys are on the map, so you'd think that would make them avoidable. But, man, some of them are good at chasing you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not like you can outrun them very often. Hmm. So, shall we move on to characters? Yeah, sure. It goes on pretty well from combat because yeah, each of these characters, most of these characters, have very unique ways of fighting. But that's a very asterisked most. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's true. <laughs> Uh, why don't we just give a little like breakdown of each each one of them? So I'll start us off here with uh, there's uh, Frederick Francois Chopin. You may have heard of him. <laughs> He's the real life, a renowned composer and pianist. In the world of his dreams, he meets Polka, a young girl with an incurable illness, who is the same age his old, younger sister Amelia was when she died of tuberculosis. Chopin, within the dream world, adventures with his companions in search of answers in a world which is, uh, it's slowly, it, it's implied that it's slowly turning into his like new reality. Yeah, there's definitely fuzziness on how much of it is real Chopin really experiencing things, even though we do still flash back to his tuberculosis coma body. Mm-hmm. Uh, the interesting part about him is the game is about Chopin. It He is 100% the central character. You don't tend to play as Chopin so much, though. Like, he is not your character when you run around the map. Oh, no. I would say for the majority of the game, it's uh, it's Polka and Allegretto. Yeah, exactly. And it's, again, a very interesting take for them to have made that it is all about him experiencing this hallucinogenic world and you are taking the character of the hallucinations. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's very strange. So, yeah, we are not in his head for the most part at all. And there, are, it takes a while even for his character to be pl- playable in combat and to be introduced mm-hmm. whatsoever. And there are huge yeah, or to really, of it where he's not there. Yeah, or really to play a very like active role in the narrative. Absolutely. Yeah. And as mentioned, he fights with a baton. Oh, yes. Do you want to uh, talk about Polka? Cool. All right. So Polka is the 
cute, sweet little teenage girl character who you spend most of your time in the game with. She is magic. That is how you are introduced to her. Young girl with some sort of healing magic. And that is terrible in this world, apparently. You learn that means everyone wants to stay away from her. It is like a disease. And magic is like the symbol, the representation that somebody is about to die. So the fact that she has magic means that she is terminally ill and everyone in the town is disgusted by that. And even though she is just nice and sweet and determined to be helpful, she is the outcast of society. And uh, yeah, this is the character where it's got the most, uh, yep, cool. They are going to make it very clear. This is about Chopin's younger sister who also died of tuberculosis thing. This is a tuberculosis Mm -hmm thing that we're talking about here they're not subtle in that regard that no that they are not subtle about that at all and the whole magic thing maybe this is me trying to read too much into it but i was like when i was thinking about it i was like is there are they trying to do some like kind of allegory about the time that he was alive and the industrial like revolution or something mm, like oh. that but i think i'm maybe giving them too much credit no absolutely absolutely no i understand why you'd say that in regards to the magic but in terms of all of the overall plot regarding magic stuff that happens definitely feels industrial revolutionary i very much agree on that point the magic itself is a bit funny because there's not really much implication that it's like a contagious death or anything and in fact as far as i'm aware does anyone in the game actually die of magic or is it more like a portent that you're going to die soon? Because it feels yeah, like they're saying it's part of the disease, but does it happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For a long time, it just feels like maybe it's propaganda. <laughs> Very well, maybe. <laughs> you never know. I don't know. Here's the one... Here's the one real life parallel that I did come across that is a real stretch. Ooh. But, you know... She heals people with her hands, and mm. Chopin was a pianist. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, you never know. Good point. Not, now, I don't know. I'm we, not going to take a. I'm not. <laughs> can we also make some sort of metaphor in the fact that she hits people with her umbrella? <laughs> I don't know if we can make a metaphor out of it, uh. but I did find it pleasantly whimsical. it's very fair and strangely i don't know that yeah it is pleasant and there is something about hitting squeaky little plant animals with an umbrella that is you get when that's your first battle you just get all right i know what sort of game i'm playing now yeah yeah definitely Then you got your other, who I'd say is your other kind of main protagonist, which Mm -hmm. is Allegretto. 
He's a young man who's standing up to the contradictions of the world. He's poor, but he has a good heart. He's kind of just, you're like, thief with a heart of gold, he's, basically. He's your Aladdin. Yeah, you're Aladdin. You're like Rob, not Robin Hood, but yeah, I think Aladdin's probably a better uh, comparison. He, he steals bread to feed children who aren't able to feed themselves. but Lives in the sewers. Oh, God, yeah. And you spend a lot of time in those sewers. <laughs> Too much time. <laughs> I That was the first time I rage quit this game, was trying to navigate the sewers. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't that bad, but there were so many rats you have to fight. Oh, I know. I know. Thank God for... Yeah. I think by... I don't know. By two-thirds of the time that I had spent in the sewers, I was looking up maps online and looking up <laughs> game facts already. It is um, very much one of those ones where there is enough exploring to do. Where you start out, you've got the, I want to explore the entire map, find all the hidden objects and things, but eventually you're just tired and you don't want to accidentally go the wrong way, no matter what prize is at the end. Yep. Yeah. Or deal with any more goddamn rats. Yeah. It it gets a bit like that. And with Allegretto basically the entire time, there is Beat, the younger boy. I assumed it was his younger brother, but I guess they're just all orphan boys. Yeah, I thought it was his younger brother, too. But yeah, everything I, I can find online just says text. he's this other kid that's there. Yeah. yeah. And we should also point out some of these, yes, your big name JRPG and anime, etc. voice actors who we got going on here. Like, we've had Sam Regal. You've got Mona Marshall is Beat, who is one of my favorites. So, yeah, there. this is not a tiny nobody of a game. It's, no, it's no. It's an impressive one. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's one of those things where it makes you wonder, man, like, how does this get made in a certain way? <laughs> yeah, it's just, again, how was this thing pitched? I yeah. love visualizing that sort of thing. It's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, so Beat, the young boy, always hangs around with Allegretto. He is the cameraman. He will take photos of all of the monsters. He can still fight them by shooting with, what is it that he has got as his weapon? It's a tr- a tiny okay. trumpety sort of thing, right? Yeah, that's what it is. And he just shoots stuff out of it. So he's your tiny range attackers, attacker. Mm-hmm. But his biggest thing is that he takes photos of monsters if you want him to, which you can sell for loads of money. <laughs> and that's always <laughs> a great thing because they actually care about what the photos look like. It's not just it's very Pokémon Snap. You want to be in the midst of battle forego your turn to take a photo, preferably as up close and horrifying as possible of a monster. (laughs) He's a poor kid. He's got to make a a living somehow. And risking your life that is the best way of doing it. It's it's quite something. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) So, yeah, you got, let's see. Yeah, there's uh, Viola. She's a shepherd. The party meets in the countryside. She's a uh, tough talker. She's slightly older than the rest of the team because literally most of the team are kids, really. Yeah. And she's more capable in a number of ways. She's just savvier. She's older. And uh, she's got this pet named Arco who tags along with the group. Yeah, because everyone, you know, everything needs miscellaneous animal that doesn't really do anything. 
Yeah, you gotta have a little mascot character or something. Exactly. I don't know what it is. I don't know why it's there. It's gotta be. And she's also <laughs> one of the few characters who one of the few characters who has a solid weapon. Like she is an archer. Yeah, indeed. She's I, I prefer my favorite of her attacks is her healing arrows, where she just shoots arrows and you want those ones to hit you. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you get the feeling that the uh, she's the older sister of the whole team. <laughs> yeah, she has to be. Yeah, maybe, it's maybe. On the incompetent <laughs> children that some of them are. <laughs> By right. JRPG standards, that means yeah. like she's like maybe fourteen as opposed to exactly like, <laughs> ten. Yeah. All right. Now, speaking of the interesting incompetent children. The next ones that we have, they're the twin characters. And the first one that you meet, who has been arrested at the time, you meet this eight-year-old little red-headed girl in jail. And she typically lives in a forest, speaks in your standard cowboy accent, wearing a cowboy hat, and hits people <laughs> with their, like, chakrams. So she is just very angry and loves hats. And... <sighs> Seems, yeah, she is the outspoken one who will just crap all over the bad guys if she gets the chance. Yeah, which is, you know, that's cool. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, the description given to her is brash, outspoken, energetic, and very competitive. This is fair. Yeah, yeah. And insists on, typical of one of the young characters always has to be the one who insists that they're the mature grown-up of the group. Oh, of course. And also, as someone who lives in Texas, I goddamn I love Japanese perception <laughs> ah. of anything that's like cowboy related. <laughs> <laughs> but then you've got the fascinating part where her twin sister, March, is not that. Just isn't. Doesn't have the accent. Doesn't have the cowboy. She's got nothing. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's an affectation. Yeah, I suppose I should have expected that. Yeah. faking it the entire time mm. uh, so yeah then march sorry i've just uh, i've given up the turn based i've just absorbed both of the twins into my that's point. quite all right uh, so yeah and so much later in the game i don't know eight hours later if you're playing speedily you'll now get to the other twin sister who will join you and she is the soft quiet one who is otherwise exactly the same like, combat-wise, they're virtually identical. Mm-hmm. Interesting choice. I'm trying to picture just all of the twins that I know in my life and trying to think of the similarities between them. And appearance, yes, these two characters do look the same, though with vividly different hair. But no twins that I know have ever had their biggest similarity be their fight style. I don't know. Maybe you don't know enough twins. I haven't challenged that many of them. That's fair. (laughs) Um, uh, As for what March has going for her character-wise, they live in a forest. She wants to save forest creatures from the big bad industrialists. That's about it. Yep. I wouldn't say personal growth throughout the game is high on her list of things she's got going for her. No, she definitely seems a little bit like an afterthought character. <laughs> yes. Um, I was stunned when she became playable. 
Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. At a certain point, it just feels like we're we're just going to keep throwing throwing more playable characters in there because we can. Yeah, it's it just be like, oh, I really thought I was done now. Okay, do, am I ever going to use it? Do I have any room for you? Nah, you're a reserve. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So then you've got uh, Jazz, who's the leader of the revolutionary group Andantino. Yeah, because, um, you know, revolutionary group, yeah, it fits in naturally to the Chopin thing. We got this. Mm-hmm. And I do, I do that element of the game. Even Algretto has, like, a sense that the current system is fucked and needs to be overthrown. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, this is the story. Mm-hmm. And what's going on here. Again, when we get into it, talking about how well implemented the story is, there are some questions to be asked. But, yeah. Big bad industrialists are doing big bad industrial thing. Kingdoms and wars exist, and some people are not happy about it. Yep. And you've got orphans and people being exploited and what, what, what not. So, yeah, there's a lot of reasons why people would want to, uh, you know, maybe uh, mount a revolution. Yeah, sure. One thing that makes... (laughs) Sorry. Oh, no, no, go on. It's just, it is such an interesting thing tonally to have that there, all these big, serious sort of things. But again, the entire world is bright, shiny, sunny, happy colors. It's very hard to take things, the grave seriousness that sometimes they should. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, while you're fighting these evil jelly beans. Mm Mm-hmm. Ah, all right. So Jazz is the leader of the revolution. He's got a couple of his his friends and lieutenants after him. The first one, Falsetto, who is his second in command, and she's the tough, short-haired uh, girl. Though they're a little bit older. I feel like they're probably early 20s, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. It's very hard to tell by looking at them, but that's what they're meant to be. And she is, she's his oldest friend. This is your standard anime love triangle going on here. The best friend since childhood who's been secretly in love with him. And then there's also this girl. So, yeah, this is the, oh, Jazz is the big, tough, handsome man. Falsetto is the, yeah, I'm a little bit boyish, but because of that, he's never going to notice me. Right. Yeah, who would ever want to call for someone like me? Exactly. And Jazz's weapon was the big old broadsword. Falsetto just kicks people. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It works. Absolutely. Yeah, and then yeah, then there's the Claves, who's uh, yeah, Jazz's actual girlfriend. And another soldier for uh, Andantino. And uh, she's actually a spy for Forte. And she comes to regret her choices. Yeah, so she's the one. She was sent by the big city and the king to infiltrate the rebel alliance. And she succeeded so well that she fell in love with the leader. Oh, man. And it goes just so great for her, really. (laughs) Oh, boy. And, yeah, Clave's voiced by the inimitable Tara Platt. Oh. A remarkably small role for someone of her stature. Yeah, maybe it was, I don't know, was it her early in her career? I wouldn't have thought so. I guess not. Yeah. No, I guess maybe, it maybe it just 
Maybe it just really spoke to her. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And then beyond that, okay, here is where we hit the line. So we've been talking, all of these are your playable characters so far. This incredibly long list is just the people Mm -hmm. that you can actively fight as and have in your team, which means for me, this would be where the list ends. However, as I learned, you've got the PlayStation version where there's more. Yeah. So there are two more characters, the prince and princess of the, well, prince and fiancé of prince of the good kingdom. (laughs) And they are still characters in the Xbox version. They're just extremely minor. They, like, take you into their palace and nod seriously about your missions that you've got to do. But apparently in this version, you can play as both the prince and the fiancé is also another spy. But yeah. beyond that, I know very little about what's going on with them. You don't really do much with them, really. They're added on, but I don't feel like at this point in the game, I don't know, you've got your party pretty much set. Like, but How do they fight? Because again, I'm just picturing them and they are your... not aloof, but physically aloof royalty. They don't look like they could take a punch. What do they do? So Crescendo is kind of like a, uh, he's just pretty much like a tank character and he has a mace and a shield in combat. Oh, damn. Okay. Yeah. And, oh yeah. And uh, yeah, Crescendo fights with staves. So she has more like, like magical attacks. Oh yeah. Serenade, um, yeah, Serenade uh, fights with staves, so she has more, like, magical attacks. Ah, gotcha. That's fair. I had no idea. That's really interesting. Also, I feel like at this point I should point out the Kingdom of Forte, look, they're not good at picking their spies. They have two oh, spies no. in this game, and both of them go off, fall in love with someone, and defect, essentially. Yeah, pretty much. These were not the right choices. should we move on to the story such that it is absolutely let's take a look at this oh boy there's some back and forth jumping all together in this obviously we know it's we've said it takes place in the dream world that's going on inside chopin's head and all of the chapter names are named after Chopin pieces, all of the characters and places you can tell are musically inspired. But I'm pretty sure the very first thing that happens, do we actually start with Chopin or do we start with the, I want to call it a record scratch of poker? Because one of the very first things that happens, and I think it's the very first thing that happens, is you see poker jumping off a cliff. That is what you start with. And it's essentially, I call it a record scratch because it's like those moments in movies where they're in the middle of some big action thing happening and then it's the... Yep. Now, yep. how did I like, get here? Yeah, exactly. The weird, like, in media, in media res type thing. Except, typical of this sort of thing, I feel she is spouting stuff that sounds philosophical. Just some very ethereal life quotes that the more you examine them, the less they make any sense. Mm-hmm. And then you go to Chopin's deathbed. Exactly. And you're like, what is going on here? 
But you're basically you're told Chapin's basically it's his final hours on his deathbed, and uh, you're being you're being taken on a journey through his dreams, which you know supposedly resemble a fictionalized life of Chopin, though that is questionable how much they resemble. Yeah, again, I'll um, have to take their word for it. So inside the fictional world of his dreams, the world is basically at war between two kingdoms, Forte and Broke. We start out with being introduced to uh, Polka, like for real. And she's a young girl who resides in a village in Forte called Tenuto. And she has a terminal illness. Mm-hmm. And as we mentioned earlier, normal people are uh, afraid of being near her because they're afraid of becoming somehow infected by her magic. Mm. However that works. She basically tries to make a living selling floral powder, which is a healing agent Mm. and nobody wants to buy it because nobody wants to get close to her. And I, I, you know, honestly, I don't know. I'm a softy. I felt pretty bad for her in these oh. early scenes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like there are many series that try to do the here is a child being bullied by the world for existing, and this one does manage to cover it every time. She has a very sweet, doleful voice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Oh, and then on top of everybody wanting to avoid her because, you know, she's got the uh, magic plague, mm. uh, there's uh, there's something called mineral powder, which is a uh, much more effective and addictive miracle cure supplied by Forte Castle. Yeah, so this is where you're getting into your industrial revolution. Almost you're getting into an early version of your assembly line issues, which is the small mm. business girl is being shunted out of the economy by the big heartless corporation man i bet i bet if we had a few hours we could do like full like marxist reading on this without a doubt too altogether too easy (laughs) (sighs) yeah and so poker her life is a struggle she does have a mother who loves her very much despite again speaking in ethereal cryptic life affirmations but there is a lovely field of flowers that Poker likes going to every now and again, just, you know, because lonely people need to have locations that are their source of comfort rather than people. And she meets Chopin there, just mm-hmm. offhandedly for no particular reason. She just meets this dude who says, more or less, cool, hello, hallucination. Yeah, and he seems like a real badass. Like if I if you didn't know anything, like you'd be like, "Oh, this is a future villain." If this was a Final Fantasy game, this would be like your future villain. Oh, absolutely. The way he kind of turns up, and his voice is way too smooth to not be a villain. Yeah, it's actually quite remarkable because again, Chopin is meant to be thirty nine. The game states that the character is thirty nine. He does not look thirty nine because he's still adorable anime style, but he has a deep voice (laughs) it's true it's true that's how you can tell (laughs) (laughs) if it's anime you're either you either look like you're under the age of 18 or you look like you're 75 Mm. (laughs) oh yep and that's about it and despite believing and knowing that he's in a dream world and anything he's chopin is into it 
and he decides, oh, your life is difficult, poker. If you're having a problem with the way that the leader of Forte, Count Waltz, played by Liam O'Brien, I believe, again, another mega veteran voice actor, let's go visit Count Waltz so that you can ask him to stop doing his industry so hard. (laughs) And that is how the quest of the game begins. I'm sure that is going to go great. <laughs> so meanwhile, you've got uh, two young orphan brothers, Allegretto and Beat, and uh, they're just like struggling to survive in town by stealing bread. So, again, uh, this is a totally different town now. And again, just you've got townsfolk yelling at children. Mm-hmm. It's a common theme. Yeah. It's just like, you goddamn children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> basically and they're not only trying to steal bread for themselves but also for the other orphans one of the thefts almost goes wrong and so they travel to count waltz to uh plead for lower taxes in town so that they can feed the other orphan children yeah clear how lower taxes would really help with, with this but i mean don't you know how high orphan taxes are <laughs> really <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, it's a bit um, unclear, but basically all of these children, it, it, there's a childlike niceness to it. It's like writing a letter to the president to fix an issue at your school. It is. That's totally true. That's totally true. <laughs> and Count Waltz, despite how he is later, he, he could be worse in, the, in, his, in how he reacts. <laughs> I mean, let's find out. So yeah, they have to. You've got to travel through the deep dark forest in order to get to the the main city and the actual kingdom where Count Waltz lives. And so that's when all the characters they have to fight all of the evil plant monsters, and then they get to meet each other, which is great. And then they get to find out that this forest is a nice, beautiful, lovely place full of tiny magical creatures called agogos. But their environment is being destroyed by the production of this mineral powder because consumerism destroys the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they do react differently around polka. Oh, yeah. So these little magical creatures, they tend not to interact with any humans. And no one really, mm-hmm. they're just the, the mystery creatures. They're just like little glowing balls of fluff. And we don't know anything about them, except they love polka. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're totally right. We got industrialism. We've got environmental environmental impact. Anti taxes so, yeah. for reasons we still don't understand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so eventually you then walk through open fields. That's when you pick up the shepherd viola along the way for your party, and then you they, the party finally makes it to Count Waltz to plead their cases for stop doing business, please. And his reaction is to throw them in jail. Yep. See, it seems only fair. Yeah, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. And this is where we learn that Count Waltz is uh, using the Agogos for quote unquote experimental purposes. Yes. Yeah, so Wonder what that could be. Mysterious creatures, useful for some nefarious purposes. <sighs> all right. And so then they're all sitting in jail, sadly, and that's when they meet their cowboy friend. But they get broken out of the jail by this rebel alliance group because, again, there was a war happening and there's all sorts of bad stuff happening. Like The Kingdom of Forte is clearly doing everything they can in a very shady manner. So there is a resistance group against what they are doing. 
that is mm-hmm. like trying to side with the other kingdom of Baroque to overthrow Count Waltz. So together, they all make their escape and try to... They are essentially trying to rush to the other kingdom over the sea in order to get things moving again, to use what information they've just found. They do not get anywhere near that far for a while because as they try to leave the castle, you have to cross a bridge to leave and that does not go so well no it does not (laughs) if any character has to walk across a bridge and the cutscene happens what's gonna happen (laughs) (sighs) oh my god yeah this wow there's so much so yeah the party ends up falling off a bridge getting mysteriously split up half of them end up in a poison forest that leads, Mm -hmm. coincidentally, to the rebel group Andantino's hideout. Fantastic. The other half end up mysteriously aboard a Baroque ship. Yeah, somehow. I'm not sure where the ship came from, because, again, my interpretation of things, granted, I didn't see the physical map of the landscape, but I interpreted these kingdoms as being, because ships were so involved, across a sea from each other. Yeah, you would think. But they fall off one bridge. Yeah. (laughs) The mechanics are not very, (laughs) the plot mechanics are not very clearly. It's uh, curious. Again, those, the two kingdoms are in utterly different climates and everything. They are clearly far away from each other. Mm hmm. (laughs) Oh, but uh, anyway, so there's, so they, luckily that half of the group, well, they get to go straight to the Prince of Baroque. That's lovely. That's exactly what they wanted. So then they get to say, oh, no, here are all of the evil things we know about Count Waltz's plans, messing with the agogos, messing with mineral powder. Okay, so this mineral powder, we knew that it was very effective. We knew that it was maybe a little bit addictive, but it's also incredibly evil. Yeah, it's highly dangerous and (laughs) can have bad side effects. Such as violent craziness yeah pretty much let's put it that way it's like like some weird uh, zombification exactly of people so to you can turn them can... into soldiers to attack baroque exactly all of this industrialization was not for the benefit of the kingdom it was just for the super soldiers that's a good, oh. yeah, that's a good, that's a good term for them. <laughs> yeah, cool. So then, okay, so once everyone ends up getting to Baroque and chatting with the prince, this is where I believe the story starts to diverge a bit in the Xbox and the PS3 versions. Because as far as I'm aware from there, all of the characters go back, they tell, they they find the bad guys again, they teleport into a magic world, they beat bad guys. Done. Mm-hmm. But there's a little bit extra that goes on in the PS3 version.
Yeah, yeah, there's uh, there's at least some kind of like character beats and whatnot. Uh, Polka and Allegretto are standing by the cliff of the sea, and uh, Polka ah. throws a rock given to her by a special someone I out to the sea. God about this time travel rock. Mm-hmm. Somehow, <laughs> Allegretto then gives her an identical rock to replace the one that she had just lost. Yeah. So this is just a weird, funny time loop of unreality that is introduced here. Saying, cool, this is a thing that I have always had since I was very little, and I know it was given to me by someone special. And then Allegretto gives her the same rock. Exactly. What's a term for it in time? I can't think of it. The bootstrap paradox, where it's like somebody goes back in time to give themselves the item that they need to. Oh, the Terminator. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. That's basically what this rock is. Mm. Yeah. It's, it gets interesting in that regard towards the end, but yeah, that one was still in the original. I had just completely forgotten about it. (laughs) And uh, the other thing that is also in there, and again, just going into all the various character things, you learn that there are spies placed in the various locations. And, uh, again, they're such ineffective spies, it probably doesn't matter. You probably don't need to do anything about it at all. But you are aware that spies exist. Yeah, yeah. They learn that they're spies. For some reason, Prince Crescendo decides to surrender to prevent any bloodshed. But uh, Sure. Yeah, I don't understand. Obviously, you've got this, like, industrialist, imperialist nation that you're at war with. But, yeah, sure. Yeah. It's always the question, isn't it? Like, yes, surrendering would prevent bloodshed, but when you are against a power mad, magic corrupt human who seems to care about nothing and nobody, how much can you really believe that's going to prevent the bloodshed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but- it's incredibly. <laughs> this is a good, this is like a well worn JRPG tradition where it's like the just. The, the just prince or king who it's like, how the hell did you make it this far? Like, <laughs> you have no political knowledge or wisdom whatsoever. The party basically chases after the prince and stops him before he reaches uh, Forte. Unfortunately, they discover that Count Waltz has already started to attack Baroque. Yeah, so big. you get into your big battle with Count Waltz himself to try to stop this happening, and it's not too bad. Great, you can defeat him. But that is not the end of it, because he has an advisor that has just been his, basically nothing much more than his butler this entire time, Legato. But Count Waltz has been amassing all of this magic that, and all of this horrible corrupting stuff that he does, and it gets all shoved into the butler legato. Mm-hmm. And what happens to him exactly? He turns into a huge demonic creature that creates a gateway to another dimension. As you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because there's not much else to do. You've defeated everyone in the real world. You have to go into the hell dimension to try to <laughs> follow this demon that you've created. Well, that has been created. And it's actually, you know, it's a pretty relaxing, I shouldn't call it a hell dimension, that's mean to it. It's just a death dimension. 
Yeah, yeah, they're they're like in this world occupied by the souls that died from using the mineral powder. Yeah, just you know? lots and lots of ghosts. And this is like where you get to the heart of what the game has been setting up. Not with the war and the industrialism and everything, but this That's is really just an where aside. you get, Yeah. This is where we finally get back to what the hell is going on with Chopin. Mm. So they track down and they defeat Legato. And by doing that, they gain access to the core of the dream world. So... You might notice I start to get a little bit quieter as you describe this part. And that's because no matter how many hours I've put into this game, I'm still not sure about a lot of it. It's very confused. It's very convoluted. (laughs) So basically... I'll try to break it down. <laughs> I haven't seen Tenet yet, but I'm pretty sure it's got nothing on Eternal Sonata. <laughs> so Chopin is certain that this is just a dream during his final hours. And he believes that basically before he could pass on into the afterlife, he has to face his own soul and presumably destroy his dream world. He turns against the party and they have to take him down. It's the classic, how do you wake yourself up when you realize you're in a dream? Murder spree. Exactly. Exactly. And that is somehow going to save your soul and let you pass on into real life. Mm. And we're like, this is like Inception levels. Like we're like three levels in right now. Oh, yeah. This is also very Um, wounding because I put a lot of effort by this stage into building up Chopin as a strong character. And all of those moves that I taught him, he is now using against me. And I just felt offended. I hate that. I hate that when that happens in (laughs) JRPGs. (laughs) There are other ones. I'm not going to spoil anything, but there are other ones even more recently where that happens. And it's it's really (laughs) aggravating. Uh. Polka basically feels that this also marks the end of her journey. She thanks everyone for the friendship, and then she just throws herself from the cliff, as she did with the rock. Yeah, it's some sort of just magical, spiritual, this is the way things are meant to be Mm -hmm. thing that's going on here. Now, should I give the breakdown for what is going on here? I mean, yes, please. Okay. This is the best I can do it. Okay. Okay. Allegretto's like basically uh, pissed off and blaming uh, Chopin for her death. Yeah, they were in child but, love, so that yeah, exactly. He's not happy. However, the next sequence, you find a younger and reborn <laughs> polka falling from the sky into the arms of her mother, who seems to know that all this was going to happen, and that's because the dream world of an Eternal Sonata is on a never-ending 10-year loop. So at the end of each loop, Polka, who's some kind of divinely appointed sacrificial savior, throws herself off the cliff, and this act somehow restores the world by resetting it back to what it was 10 years ago. And it wasn't possible for Polka... Okay, basically, the reason this loop So Fredek's presence in the dream world broke the loop this time. And the reason that Polka kept dying was because of Frederick's Frederick's memory of Amelia. The younger sister. Yeah, his real-life younger sister, 
who only lived until she was 14 years old. So it was impossible for Polka to live beyond the age of 14, since the dream world was based on Frederick's real world, Mm. theoretically. But now that Frederick's became a character in his dream, basically his like experience reality is no longer confined to just the real world, but also includes the dream world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Makes all the sense. So he was not interfering in any of the previous loops, but this time because he was at the final limits of his deathbed time, he was able to actually penetrate the dream itself. I guess maybe a way of thinking about it is the old, the old saw about if you fall, if you fall to your death in your dream, you die. <laughs> and he just kept on falling, but not actually hitting the ground Ooh. until, <laughs> until at last he finally does. But it creates. So this is where it gets really confusing because Chopin's about to, it's already confusing, but Chopin in real life is just about to die. But the world, the dream world of Eternal Sonata is going to continue going on. Yeah, that seems to be the possible implication. It leaves a lot to your imagination of how this is supposed to work. Exactly. (laughs) The mechanics are very confusing. Because like you would assume that when he finally dies, everything will cease to exist. But it's not that clear. Mm-hmm. Like that just is that's the logical interpretation, but there is nothing that really suggests that. Uh, definitely, and for what actually happens, that's definitely not how it goes. No, it's heavily implied that you know things are going to continue in the dream world. Yeah. In some degree. Yeah. To an extent. But so what happens with this one? The loop does not, in fact, start perfectly over again like it apparently has been every other time. Yeah. And she and Polka could basically hear someone calling out to her. And her mom explains that this person is her quote unquote special someone. So she says farewell to her mother. And returns back to the party and is carried back up the cliff by the Agogos. So yeah, there's some sort of implication, like this is a your standard in any other piece of media. This would be the person who is in the limbo, about to walk through the gate into heaven, but then is pulled back to earth. Except this was she started a new time loop, but was pulled back into the old time loop. Exactly. <sighs> but the, yep, apparently the more we uh, talk about it, the more I confused I get. Yes, it's good. Trying to talk about it, you'd think would get some of it out there, make it easier. That's not true. <laughs> but yeah, so apparently her intense 14-year-old love with Allegretto was enough to bring her back. And something about all of this is also signified right by the actual final death of real-world Chopin. Yeah, we finally see him sitting by his piano one last time playing the original song, Heaven's Mirror, which is uh, inspired by Polka. And yeah, it finishes off there. Or does it? Because storyline-wise it does, except this game, much so many games, has a semi-new game plus thing going on. But because they've introduced time loops and all that, it feels a little more relevant. 
And there are actually side quests in this game that cannot be completed without doing your second run through. <laughs> I did not know that. I didn't. I, I didn't do any of the new game plus stuff. So I, I don't even know if it actually like in a new game plus way made things harder or anything. But it's still a get your have your inventory sort of thing. I think. But yeah, the entire story is reset, but you get to keep your score pieces from the previous one, the precious collectible, because there are some score pieces that you get right at the end of the game that you need for right near the beginning of the game and you couldn't go back to them and things like that. There is a recurring villain throughout this that is so irrelevant to the story that she hasn't even been mentioned that you cannot beat her side quest without playing the new game plus. And i got to be honest, I'm really into those sorts of things. I love things that force you to play more a little bit. <laughs> and just ones where the second play is not identical to the first and that you can jump straight into it like that. Yeah, we didn't even talk about possibly the greatest and most difficult character in the entire game, Captain Dolce. Do you remember her? Oh, right. Well, yeah, I do. I do. Bizarrely difficult boss. So this happens way back when your characters fall off the bridge onto a magic boat. That boat gets attacked by pirates, and so you have to raid a pirate ship. And the Captain Dolce is she is just the badass pirates cap, pirate captain who is incredibly difficult to defeat. And then throughout various locations in the rest of the game, you can just find her again. She is chasing you or something to try to kill you further, and she gets harder and harder. But you have to play New Game Plus in order to finally defeat her and find her treasure. I don't know what her treasure is. I've never gotten that far, but <laughs> it's a really bizarre mechanic. And again, it's a little bit underutilized because there are only a couple of things that you actually need to do in this new game plus, but I'm so happy that they do exist. It's bizarre and interesting. And again, because they introduced the whole time loop thing, which again, I don't understand what they're doing with it even a little bit. But it feels appropriate to have in there. Yeah, yeah. No, it definitely does. If it wasn't for the fact that the framing device of... <laughs> uh, it's just like Chopin as a framing device and his death, it just makes everything within the time loop fall apart. Yeah. Just even with little things. Why pirates? Yeah. Why Why pirates? <laughs> I, but yeah, I, I it. Oh, boy, I, I don't know how the creators of this game could sit down and explain it to me in a way that makes more sense than we've currently gotten out of it. I, yeah, I don't know if they really could. And maybe we were putting too much thought into it, but it's. Never! They put so no. much pseudo philosophy in this. If they don't oh, want yeah. to overanalyze, that is entirely on them. No, that's true. That's true. They have really they they're asking for it. <laughs> oh, but yeah, it's well, got some moments that it's very interesting because you go into it and you do think a JRPG that is based on the metaphor of Chopin's life running through his own death hallucinations. That is weird enough that I am instantly into it. But then the other half uh, is that the actual play of the game it is such a stock standard skip through the colorful world full of tropes. Yeah. The two yeah, things it, mesh very oddly. 
They mesh very oddly and not even talking about even putting aside like the time loop elements of it. It just <laughs> it's strange. It, it often feels like a mid quality uh Tales game in in a way. <laughs> I like Tales games. I'm not talking shit about them, but yeah, it just it, it's such a strange contradiction. Hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. What were you going to say? All this lag. We keep getting in each other's way. I was just going to say there's something curious about the story. And because the story beats are very stock standard, almost cliche, and pretty heavy things that have been talked about in such a light way. Yes, this is an industrial thing. Yes, we should complain to the Count about the taxes. Yes, there is a war and a secret revolutionary group. But you don't really go into any depth of them. So they stay feeling very surface level in a way that makes it feel like the entire story should be a child character's hallucination rather than a 39-year-old's. Yeah, If yeah. this was Amelia, the sister herself, the, 14, the, the teenage sister who died of tuberculosis, and this was meant to be her dream, then it feels like it would fit a lot more because the things, like I said, it's like a child writing a letter to the president. That is the sort of feel <laughs> that this game has. Which, I mean... That has a certain charm to it. Like the, a lot, I think a lot of the game is carried by that sort of. It almost has like a fairy tale element. Oh, but without a doubt. Then, but. when you start thinking about the bigger themes of the game, or the whole like framing element of Chopin being on his deathbed, it just doesn't have any kind of gravitas or stakes. No, absolutely. And the thing is, I love the idea of having it based around Chopin's music and everything. I don't know about you, but when I think about Chopin and I'm trying to identify a piece of his, I always go, all right, Chopin, that's the sad one. But right. that doesn't really come across in this game at all. No, it, is, it does not. It is not sad. No, there's definitely sad things in it, but sure. all, it's all, none of it has that many stakes. It goes back to the fairy tale thing. Mm. I feel like. Yeah. Sometimes there are things where if the stakes are, I don't know, do this or die, sometimes, especially in very cartoony sort of settings, that doesn't feel like it means anything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Huh, but yeah, there is apparently, there is a war going on. War. The worst thing that humans can do to each other. We never see it. We just hear the word war. Mm-hmm. And, like, creatures are being exploited and orphans are being exploited mm -hmm. and all of these things, that, all these terrible things. But for the most part, just kind of, oh, we're on our like, breezy little trip around the world. Yeah, absolutely. And again, when framed in from a child perspective, that's completely natural. It makes perfect sense. And therefore mm -hmm. it is the, Chopin, what was going on in your head? That this was what you did. This was what you hallucinated. I don't know. The only thing I can think of is, okay, maybe he's on his deathbed and he's going back to a childlike mentality. That's all I if got. They, if they made that in any way clear, perfect. Got it. This now makes perfect sense. But they didn't. Yeah. Oh, all right. Yes. Yeah. You've definitely covered it. This is a really interesting idea that they had going on. They could have dug a little deeper into it and incorporated things maybe in some cooler ways. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like 
for all the kind of like ragging on it that we're doing, I still really like it as a game. I think uh, sure. It's, I, I I definitely think it probably shows its age a little bit. There's some really frustrating dungeon <laughs> gimmicks and puzzles and uh, <laughs> oh, save man. states that save points that are too far apart and just crap yep. like that. You have bugs but, and stuff. There is one that? dungeon that I've now just had. I'm just getting horror flashbacks to. Oh, is it the one where you have to turn the turn the goddamn things, turn the circles? Yes, oh I I don't God. even know how to describe it properly. But I've never had a dungeon where it's so easy to get lost, even though there aren't that many places. That's baffling. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. But, but yes, complaining about things in a game does not mean you hate the game. I have to make that clear. Again, I've put hundreds of hours into this. I've put hundreds <laughs> of hours into the section at the end. How heaps of JRPGs, they have that game where it's just, cool, you're level 20. Here is a dungeon full of level 100 bad guys. Just get good enough to get through it. And it's 99 levels deep. Have fun. And this has one of those. And I love it. Yeah, I in no way I I I am happy to trash on the bad parts of things that I love, but it still means I love them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's how I feel. And goddamn, I gotta hand it to them for their just the sheer audacity of it. Again, you could sh- get me into that pitch meeting where the dude said that this was his idea. I would be unbelievably happy. That is what I live for. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. To be a fly on the wall at that mm. meeting would be pretty amazing. <laughs> Is there anything anything else you want to add before we wrap it up here? I have one final moment that I feel mm-hmm. needs to be mentioned, which is that, so Claves, Tara Platt's character, the girlfriend of the revolutionary, who is also a yes. spy, she dies. She She gets murdered. How long is her death scene? Oh, it is... Intense, way too long. She gets, I don't, she got stabbed in the stomach or something. So yeah. she ends up just being left on the floor to die. And she has about a 20 minute monologue about her love for jazz and her regrets for being a spy. It is <laughs> fascinating. I had totally forgotten about that. <laughs> it's just but a yeah. put down your control and just stare for a while. Oh my God. In fact, that's why this role spoke to Tara Platt, because that's a bloody good thing to have like on your audition reel. <laughs> that's pro- I think you're probably right. <laughs> the longest sing- single person without interruption bit of voice acting that anyone has gotten to do ever. Well, yeah, that's true. Though, I don't know. There's a popular RPG, JRPG from recent years that has an uh, hour-long cutscene. To explain its uh, very convoluted plot twist. Oh, Um, boy. (laughs) And it not only... (laughs) Some some of you will know, but I I don't want to spoil it uh, for those who don't. Not only is it very long and convoluted, but... At, some, at a certain point, they start like busting out like the equivalent of PowerPoint slides <laughs> to explain how the twist worked. I am burning with curiosity. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I'll know if it, I could handle getting it. through it, but oh boy, do I want to try. If you, if you want me to tell you, I'll, I'll type it in the chat. <laughs> Please. Like, yeah, tell me after okay. we're done recording. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, 
Brilliant. Well, should we uh, should we wrap it up here? I think that's about it. Unless you have any other any highlight moments for you, did you have a favorite moment? Ah, oh, man, I'm having a hard time thinking of. I feel like we've touched on all of them at this mm. point. And I feel yeah, like my, my brain. A good highlight my, is always just every combat. Once you reach your final stage of combat, and you can do your super powered super attacks, they always feel good. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh, the combat in general feels great. I think. It's beautiful. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, do you want to tell us about uh, your podcasts and uh, what you do? Oh, okay. So my main podcast that I do is called Escape This Podcast, where I design and we run for guests audio versions of escape rooms. So I write out the puzzles, I write out the stories, and we bring people on to try to solve them. It runs a bit like a very puzzle-heavy D and D game. And sometimes they're just one-off rooms. Sometimes we do entire connected arcs. But yeah, that's a good bit of fun. We always have new guests on coming through it. Uh, We've had lots of fun people. And our second podcast is called Solve This Murder, where, you know, all of the true crime that is out there, it's great. Good on them. If you're into that's brilliant. Sometimes all of that can be a little bit dark and a little bit heavy. So we've gone for the fictional crime route. So we write our own whodunit stories, and then my husband plays the detective, and he tries to solve the mystery. <laughs> That's really cool. I think I would prefer. I, I I have a hard time with true crime, just because you've got to find the balance between interesting crime and murder porn. Yeah, exactly. Which is where I feel like the genre has gone towards. So yeah, I like that. <laughs> I like that idea concept a lot more. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, you and your husband are pretty much uh, doing the podcasting thing full time now, right? Yeah, that's right. It's been an interesting year, but luckily our plan for 2020 was to never leave the house, so it fit in nicely. <laughs> yeah, it's been a good year for podcasting, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah. Oh, awesome. Like well, that. Thank- and yet, that works with the escape room thing, because having an escape room podcast, because nobody can get out and do real escape rooms right now. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah, no, that's perfect timing. That's perfect timing in itself. Yeah, could be worse. Well, you've ma- you've made me realize just exactly how many games I have played because I love the combat system and don't like much else about it. That's getting to be an embarrassingly long list. We're gonna have to do more episodes together. This, is, <laughs> oh, this has been be a lot, lot. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. I do warn you, my list of JRPGs is staggeringly smaller than I expected it to be. I, hell, I only played That's Earthbound okay. for the first time last year. I'm going to make a uh, terrible confession, which is that I've never played it. No, but I really loved it. Yeah, I'm I'm sure I will. I just it's, abs- it's You can tell why it's a classic. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure I'll love it, but... Yeah, I think we had talked about doing doing another game sometime <laughs> in the future. Another PS3 game, Enchanted Arms. Oh, so another one I that I had on Xbox. So if I find out <laughs> that I lost content from that one, I'll be furious, <laughs> but also, again, probably okay, because the base game, I spent 200 hours on itself, so I don't know how I could fit more into it. What a fascinating <laughs> wild ride of a game that one's going to be. I hope you get to play it. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I will slot this in and, yeah, let's do this again. As far as combo chain... Grant, I will expect you will buy it and then at some point I'm expecting a call from you just, like, hurling abuse at me for suggesting it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I don't know. I don't know. You don't know some of the games that we've done on here. (laughs) 
<laughs> I, have, I have a pretty high tolerance for some JRPG bullshit, so. Well, I'm sure, but the 50th time one of the characters says Yokohama instead of Yokohama, it's going to get to you. <laughs> awesome. It's been so great to have you on, dear. It's been great to talk to you and to relive the weird. Yes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we were talking about this before we started recording, but this has been on my short list of games that I've wanted to do because it's just so interesting. And I didn't think that I'd be able to find anybody <laughs> to talk about <laughs> it with me. And so I am very grateful um, that you're willing to I'm take this time. I'm so glad because, again, you're probably the first person in the world that I've talked to about it who has played it and known what it was. So I'm really <laughs> glad to. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, let's do this again. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, thank you for listening. Just a couple things to wrap up here. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, Combo Chain FM, and on Facebook, we're just Combo Chain. Listen to my other podcast, Mega Ten Marathon, which is a game by game journey through the Shimigami Tensei and Persona games. And uh, yeah, I think that'll do it for the plugs for now. Awesome. Thanks so much for listening.